In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few days ago, I was driving on the interstate, and in addition to the usual signs, like speed limits, I saw other signs that we don't usually see around here, like speed limits, which is to say minimum speed limits. We don't usually around here see the 55 or the 65 speed limit standing on top of the 45 mile an hour minimum speed. It's refreshing to see that. It's a reminder that driving is inherently dangerous and beginning to drive is a commitment. It means you're ready for the road. You're ready for what is likely to happen. And it even means you're also prepared for what is not likely to happen, but may very well unfold. Now, yesterday evening when we have a rainstorm, that expectation of minimum speed is relaxed. We, we all understand that. We don't need a sign to say that. Some cars will slow down a little bit, but there's still a limit to that rule bending. Because some people, you'll notice, as you drive through the storm on the Beltway or 270 or 95, some people are pulled over on the side of the road under a bridge. And they'll just wait out the storm. And that's totally fine. It's an indication, too, that they realize that it's not acceptable to be on the road just going two or three miles an hour. If you're, if, if it's that disconcerting, then you simply pull off the road and wait, and that's fine. Might be some cause of, of conversation, if not argument, if the person in the passenger seat thinks we should be on the road. And the person in the driver's seat says, no, I don't think we should be. The person who says, I don't think we should be, should have a good reason for saying it. Otherwise, right, they shouldn't have even gotten on the road in the first place. Now, by the same token, let's say in today's relatively beautiful weather, we see a car that's still under the bridge. It might mean they've run out of gas, but it could also mean that they've both simply decided, no, let's just hang out here. That's fine. Right? As long as they're off the road far enough, they want to sit in the shade or power to them. On Wednesday, we celebrate the Feast of St. James, brother of John, and the Feast of St. Christopher. We also will remember that it will have been 50 years ago since July 25th that Pope Paul VI published the document Imani Vitae. We're not celebrating the 50th anniversary of a church teaching. We're just marking the 50th year since that perennial teaching was reiterated, obviously, uh, in a undesirably eventful manner. As much as the church's teaching on truth can't change, 
there was great expectation that these teaching would change. And even consultation with the bishops of the world resulted in most of them not filling out their questionnaires and replying. But of those who did, the vast majority were expecting something quite different than the document in Vitae. And so it's an opportunity to be, uh, to be grateful again for Christ's promise and God fulfilling that promise to send the Holy Spirit to teach through them so that those who would hear them would hear him. And also a chance to, to pray again and to renew our, our penance and sacrifice that hearts may be open to the voice of Christ. In the first reading, we heard that phrase from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that might, it begins midstream, right? Now these things were done in a figure of us that we should not covet evil things as they also coveted. And then idolatry, fornication, other sins are, are mentioned to Acknowledge the evil that's happening and the evil that needs to be rejected, but the first five verses are somewhat um, helpful of chapter 10. They read, For I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that our fathers were all, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all in Moses were baptized in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the desert. So imagine that that desert road, perhaps the road to Baghdad, where most of the cars and trucks are smoldering ruins. There were a few who passed through the wall of death. There were a few that survived, but most actually didn't. And in a sense served to warn us. Some of your offices probably have lovely photographs and lovely art. Perhaps some of your offices have modern art or other things to distract you from other even more ugly things. It's only the select few offices that have that kind of office art with the glossy photographs, with the inspirational imagery that have the rather... Um, sarcastic uh, caption underneath. You can find them at demotivators.com. This is not a commercial. They're not paying me. But there's one image of, of a ship half sunken. It looks like the Titanic and it's tilted and half the boat is already under the water.
And underneath are the large block letters, mistake. And underneath it, in smaller letters, the explanation. Perhaps your purpose is to serve as a warning for others. We can learn both from those who live the faith and those who reject the faith. We can recognize the wisdom of those who have heard the word of God and attempt to live it out. And whether it be for our own being that much more deliberate, or also for our being able to point out to others who are headed down a road that is inevitably going to lead to their destruction, we can describe for them what awaits. We can learn also from those who are not living the faith, those whose ears are closed to the Lord. In the course of marriage preparation, there are those conversations that ensue. The couple who's delightfully in love with each other but have no intention of having children. probably a terrible thing. Well, we know it's a terrible thing for someone to have married someone and then to realize after the fact that they actually never wanted to have kids. It's one thing to be able to confront it ahead of time and, and to help someone realize what they are in effect saying, which is that I want you to be completely part of my life, but I am totally not willing to let anyone or anything take over my life. Ultimately, the person who has no intention of having children is the person who's completely um, unwilling to, to, to love, to let their life belong to someone else. But in that extreme case, we might lose some people who, who would claim that they, are, that they have nothing in common with them. They love children. They want to have 2.1 children. They think kids are great. And knowing that we have no idea how families have been attempting to be generous without having the Lord send them children. My own brother and sister-in-law trying for 10 years until it was the Creighton method and probably the prayers of some holy nuns that gave us uh, two children in three years. So I'm both a, a great fan of holy nuns praying for your intentions and for NAPRO. This is also not a commercial, and they are not paying me. But how radically different is that couple, even without a child? who understand that their, their lives do not belong to them as property. 
their lives are a gift, and, and, they've, and they've offered this gift to somebody else. And they, they live, even without children, as, as future mom and dad, not as husband and wife without children. The nature of their relationship is radically different, meaning really from the root, it is categorically different. Sometimes when we know people well, we can, we can help point out that what they seem to experience as love is actually a very mutually satisfying kind of selfishness where they, their, their, their selfish lives inter, interlock very well. And they're, they're able to enjoy their, uh, their needs and their wants even being satisfied. But rather than having given their lives to each other, they've, they've found a way to be mutually selfish in a way that has um, seeming little drawback. But when their patterns of selfishness, selfishness conflict, then they're in trouble. Or when their means run out. But marriage is beautiful, right? When, when, we, when we decide to drive on the highway, we don't think, oh my goodness, I just have all these things I'm not allowed to do that I have to remember. No, they, they're in the back of our mind, or not even on our mind, because we know what, what we do. And when, 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 we're, when we have a basic competence, and especially if we have good company, and especially if the scenery is lovely, it's enjoyable to drive. Drive west on 66 and it's, it's painful for half an hour. North on, you know, 495, 270 is painful for an hour. And then you're in the countryside and it's, it's beautiful. And every mile leaves you feeling better than you did before. Love and marriage isn't a list of don'ts. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a life worth living. You, many of you tell me it's very enjoyable. And when we understand that this, this commitment means I am, I am ready. I'm, I'm not just going to go at two or three miles an hour. I'm not just going to love you for a few days or a few weeks, but this means my whole life. This means everything. Obviously, there are times when both want to sit on the side of the road, and that's fine, sit in the shade or sit in a pretty spot. No one can judge them. If they have a conflict, then they have to have good reasons and hopefully good advice helping them resolve that conflict. And there are wreckages along the road that can warn us, don't, don't text and don't be drowsy and certainly don't drive under the influence and don't drive while you're turning around and trying to spank the 
little one in the second row behind you. That doesn't work out very well. But their example is too of of the life well lived and the and the road that's driven and it's and it's lovely. It demands our attention, requires our skill. Is impossible without our, without our commitment. But when all those are there, it's almost effortless. In a very similar way, something is happening here in the sanctuary. To receive the love of God is to make a commitment. We can't just receive his love and say, thank you very much, I'll ignore you for the rest of the day, or thank you for the mu- very much, the rest of the week belongs to me. Now, it's one thing to observe the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and everyone currently can and should. Just It was only for a few centuries that the sacred mysteries weren't permitted to be observed except for by those who were baptized and believers. The, the entirety of which could only be witnessed by those who were in communion with our Lord and the church. But for reasons that I don't think are really matters of dispute, the holy sacrifice of the Mass is here for everyone to see. Really and truly, every Mass should be standing room only. What prevents it, some of the time, certainly, we can't judge, some of the time, perhaps most of the time, is when when people realize they can't receive Holy Communion and they just skip Mass altogether, which only compounds tragedy on top of a tragedy. But rather, we really should encourage those, everyone, every soul, even non-believers, to witness something so beautiful that it can hardly be put into words. Now, coming up to receive Holy Communion, that's another thing altogether, of course. That's just not, that's more than simply acknowledging God. But that's to receive God's love in a way that demands our complete response of love. It's it's an experience that's intimate where we can't, simply receive our Lord without permitting the consequences to unfold. Even when we consume natural food, it has two purposes. It nourishes our body and it delights our senses. When we receive Holy Communion, he comes to nourish our soul and to draw us closer to him in love and faith and hope. We can't simply say, I want the experience of, of closeness, but, I, but, um, but I, I, I want nothing else. And we can't say, I, I, want, I want you to come inside of me, but I want it to be completely safe. I want there to be no chance that anything might transform me or change me. So we pray this week, obviously, for those who have ears closed to the voice of Christ through his church in proclaiming the simple message of love and marriage 
being irrevocable, and always needing to be complete. We also pray for those who have decided to experience God in such insufficient sips, such that it's only for their purposes and not for God's. We pray that we might open our hearts and actually ask the Lord to help us to love him perfectly and to believe in him completely and to hope in him eternally. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.